You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. And our, our text today is going to be the second half of Genesis 18, starting, uh, I'll read from verse 16 on and, and then pray. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. I just love Abraham's humility there. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, God speaking, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. It's funny, some, some commentators have said that Abraham was a man who just couldn't accept the answer yes. Let's pray. Father, as we um, approach your word this morning, um, we want to thank you, God, that it is living and active. And Lord, that you are there to meet us. And we want to acknowledge that that it's a privilege to be able to pray to the one true living God. And I, I know that um, oftentimes when I pray, Lord, it just seems to be a discipline, something that I just do and, and 
just overlook the fact that, that the king of the universe wants to sit down and, and talk with me. Lord, as, as a church, I pray, God, that, that we can move forward, that we would be motivated and encouraged to spend time with you. Uh, Holy Spirit, that you, would, that you would do that right now as we open up your word, God. So we sit before you and ask that you would speak to us today through your Holy Spirit. And I also ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help me communicate your word, God. I need you. We need you this morning. So do it, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So prayer is everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. It's in every culture all around the world. And it, it's a part of all cultures. And it just goes to show that, you, that prayer is a universal desire because it's all over the place. A, a tendency to tap into the supernatural, to communicate to the unseen spiritual world. And all over the globe, we have people asking can I know God? Who is God? Is he, is he knowable? And, and how do I speak to him? And in our own culture, we have very different views of both God and prayer. But, but those actually are, are linked. So you see, if, if you show me what your view of God is, I'll show you what your view of prayer is. So your view of prayer is shaped by your view of God. But does the Bible shape your view of God? And in our culture, many people have different views of God and prayer because we tend to view God as, you know, something completely outside of this time and space dimension, something just completely other. The, the, the great one that, that cannot be conceived or maybe as some philosophers have said, the foundation of being. But what if God was one of us. You know, it's like that Joan Osborne song, you know, that, don't worry, I won't sing it to you. But what if you saw God and, and were, were able to talk to him face to face? What would you say? And what questions would you ask? Because interestingly enough, that's exactly what happens here in this passage. Abraham comes before God to talk to him, mano y mano. I mean, he's just outside his tent, chilling, you know, Bedouin style, of course, probably has some tea, it's the hot noon day, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, this apparition of deity, you know, comes along, and so Abraham gets to cook a meal for God and his uh, traveling companions. And then later the same day, as Eve begins to set in, they go for a walk, and, um, and you know, they go for a little stroll together. And, and as the two uh, companions leave, Abraham remain, remains standing there talking with God, person to person, face to face, mano y mano. So what would you say? I mean, what, what, standing right there before God Almighty, before the Holy One, what questions would you ask? Now, the two questions that get raised here are almost always at the root of our difficulty with God. 
They're almost always at the root of the difficulty with God. But uh, if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at, um, uh, at the story of Sarah and how she was promised, you know, when they f- first came in and, and they said about this time next year, Sarah, you're going to conceive a child. And she laughed. She laughed. But then the question there was, in, v- in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord to give a, a woman a child? And, and think about that now, in, in light of everything that we know now. A virgin birth, heaven after we die, is anything too hard for the Lord? That was the opening half of the story where this question emerges. Sarah laughing at the idea of giving birth at, at just a ripe old age. And now this week, in the closing half of this account, because Genesis 18 is really just one story, but we're just reading and focusing on the second half of this, this next question, we see how Abraham was just shocked by God's intention to condemn the city, and he asks this question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So there are two questions. First, the matter of God's power to accomplish anything And at the same time, God's morality. God's morality. And and how that relates to a world of suffering. And not only are these two questions at the root of all of our questions, but they're referenced again and again throughout the Bible from this point onward. And, and, you know, again, looking back for what we know now, we see that, that, that gradually, eventually, that the story unfolds and that these questions are answered as we read through the pages of the Bible. Can God really come through on his promises? Is he able to do that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And is God really fair? So Abraham explored these questions he, he, he explored them with God face to face, and I think they're intended to help us also explore these questions and point to a resolution about God's nature. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at three things, the nature of God, the nature of intercession, and the nature of priesting. First, the nature of God. Remember how we last saw Abraham. He was in hospitality mode. And um, God accepts this hospitality. He sits down with him. He eats a meal with him. And this meal is, is really a sign. It's a, it's a covenantal meal that he sits down and, and, and eats with him. And it's, it's a sign that God and Abraham were at peace with one another. They were, they were in union together. Because the nature of God is covenantal. It's a marriage-like relationship. It really, I mean, just until the death until death do us part. Because God, the nature of God is covenantal. So not only does it speak of the covenantal relationship between Abraham and God, but it's also the, the intended desire of God to be intimate and know his people. In every other religion, every other religion is, is striving to find God, to go out and, and seek God. But the God of the Bible wants to reveal himself to us. He comes to us. He initiates things first because the nature of God is that he wants to reveal himself to us and he wants to be known. And, and throughout 
as we read the stories, God is constantly revealing himself as we read through, uh, throughout history in the Bible because he wants us to know him, to know his nature, to know his character, to know his entire being. And so it's no surprise that uh, we find that Abraham was called the friend of God here. And again, because the nature of God is he, he wants, he desires to be close with us. I mean, not just as a friend, but like covenantal like that, that deep knowing, but, but you, you share things with your friends. And God wanted to share what he was going to do with Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. And the book of James uh, makes that connection as well. He was called a friend of God. The prophet Isaiah also uh, says the same thing, is is that, that because he's chosen Abraham, he is his friend. And so it's because of what we read here why Abraham is called God's friend. And, and what I want to do right now is I just want to draw a parallel between, uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament and where Abraham was speaking to God and where you and I sit today. Because this one day, Abraham ate with God, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus prepares a meal and he prepares a table for us. Abraham walked with God and then in the New Testament we have Emmanuel, God with us. And Abraham interceded with God. And today we have the Holy Spirit prompting us and inviting us into his plans, inviting us into his purposes. Because you see God here is talking with Abraham and he kind of spurs him on. And, you know, he kind of spurs him on and, and, it's, and it shows because who, uh, when, when nobody, if somebody were to tell you, you know, I really shouldn't be telling you this. You know, you're like, wait a minute. No, tell me now. Tell me. You know, it's like, that's what Abraham's doing here. Because as we'll see in the text, he, he says, um, should I tell Abraham about this? I mean, it's like as if he's like setting him up. Of course, now he's going to tell him because he wants to invite him into that. But what was the motivation in revealing the judgment to Abraham? And then God decides that that he's going to share some of what's going on with him. Why? Why does he do that? Because Abraham has a special relationship with God. And we have a special relationship with God. He reveals things to his friends and to those that are close with him. And what God is doing is he's allowing Abraham to explore his heart to enable his understanding. Furthermore, God's been, uh, Abraham's been set apart by God to be a blessing to and a father of many nations. Remember the covenant that he made with him back in Genesis chapter 12. And then he reminds him of, of it again in 15 and then 17. And then he reminds it again. It's not like God forgot it. But Abraham and Sarah needed to be reminded of it just like we need to be reminded of it today. God is a covenant God. So so he uh, had told Abraham, reminded him of the covenant, and said, I'm telling you these things so that you can teach them to your descendants, so that they will act righteously, and that they will walk according to all the commands that I have given them. Now, do you see the antithesis that's being set up here? Whereas Abraham is being blessed by God, 
Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be judged by God. Where Abraham was going to be this great nation, a father to many nations, these nations in Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed and judged. And where Abraham's children must, must do righteously and, just, and do justice, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were acting wickedly and, and ungodly. But we see the reason why God had to judge Sodom. Because it was anti-everything. It was anti-community. It was anti-family. It was anti-sexuality. Anti-commitment. Everything about it was anti-God. And that's why God had to judge. Because God has to judge. The nature of God is that he is a judging judge. He has to do it. And so what we see is that Sodom really is, is it's like a lesson for Abraham in order, again, so that he will be able to, it's an object lesson, so that he will be able to teach his children and, and, and so that he'll be able to say, this is what happens when anyone chooses ungodliness over righteousness. There's going to be judgment. So if you choose unbelief over faith, or uh, maybe you choose to follow your own way rather than God's way, if you choose to walk in the counsel of the ungodly as opposed to walking in the counsel of the righteous, as the word tells us, or maybe you choose to live your life like there's no God at all, or, or maybe you hear God's law or commands and you're like, Psh, you're like, who cares? Who cares about that? And if you don't care the outcome of that behavior ultimately is going to be judgment because the nature of God is that he has to judge. And this is why, you know, God told Abraham that his offspring needed to hear this, that God always, so that they would know that God always acts justly and he always deals with sin. He has to do it. And, and, and having to do it, I mean, we all fall under this and, and this is what leads us to intercede for other people. This is, this is the second point about going into intercession. Because if we all fall under this judgment because we're all sinners, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and yes, we're under the blood of Christ now, but, but, but where Abraham was, I mean, if you think about it, he's, he's just operating solely by faith. And it's interesting what, what this, this uh, realization drives him to. You see, because we typically see uh, prayer as, um, as talking with God, right? And, and that's actually exactly what's going on here. I mean, Abraham is involved in a dialogue with God. It's the first recorded prayer in the Bible where a human being actually goes before God. And, and he petitions him. It's a conversational prayer. And Abraham was acting as a mediator for the sake of the righteous. He's pleading with God and interceding on behalf of other people. And moreover, and rather quite remarkably, God actually responds to him. He hears and responds to him. But, but even though that this is the first petition that we see in the Bible, you know, prayer is, uh, it actually has many different um, areas. P petition is one of them. And there are, uh, these areas are different aspects. Um, for example, uh, you would have petition is the faith's claim upon God for our personal needs. 
And then you have uh, adoration, which is just simply worshiping God. Confession, uh, the acknowledgement of my sin before God. Thanksgiving, my heart expressing joy and adoration for God, for what he's done. And, and then there's intercession. And intercession is the ministry of a soul before God's throne on behalf of other people. You see, intercession is at the very heart of prayer. But it's also the hardest part of prayer. It's, it's the hardest part because there's three parties that are involved. Every other aspect area only has two. There's the one who speaks, the one who's spoken to, and the one who's being spoken for. And most importantly, intercession is based on a right relationship with God. Jesus went ahead and, and told the, the disciples, he, he said, no longer do I call you servants. He says, I don't call you servants anymore because now you, I call you friends. I call you friends because I'm going to reveal these things. And we see that in John 15 is, is when he actually says that and calls them friends. And he told them that he would have to go to the cross. And so in a like manner, here Abraham is being told by God, but it's interceding. We can only intercede if we're in a right relationship with God. Our prayers of intercession is actually a response to God. And so my question for you is, are you in a right relationship with God? And does Jesus call you friend? Because you can't intercede on behalf of someone else unless you are a friend of God. Intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. And as we've seen, again, as we unfold the pages of the Bible, God wants to be approached. He's inviting us into this ministry, so to speak. And yet, again, we see this, you know, should I tell Abraham? It's like, you know, of course, he's, he's, he's egging him on. He's like, come on, Abraham, ask me. So it's God who takes the initiative in intimacy. He's the one that comes to us. He's the one that sets the pace, and he's the one who's always disclosing himself to us. It's God who takes the in initiative and invites Abraham into this intimacy to draw near to him. And the beautiful thing is that God has drawn near to us. You know, Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And, and so we've seen him in the flesh. He's come. And so just as, as he's taken initiative with Abraham, God has come and taken initiative with us. And what's really just blows my mind here is that he actually commits intercession to us because he, you know, he, he hands it over and he says, here, I want you to pray. And maybe, maybe, Maybe you think like, well, what good can I do? I'm just one person. Does God really hear my prayers anyway? I mean, that, that's a whole other story. But, but you have to understand that, that there's always been, in intercession, there's always been a remnant. There's very few righteous. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there's not one righteous. There's only one, and that's Jesus. So, so why should I pray if, if he intercedes on my behalf? And let me give you an analogy real quick. And I know that analogies sometimes break down, but um, it's kind of like a, um, 
uh, a safety deposit box. You know, if like you go to the bank and you get a key and the bank holds a key and, and not one key opens it up, the box up. Uh, so you have to go, but if you go to the bank and then you put in your key and then the manager comes and he gets his key, then it unlocks whatever's in the safety deposit box. And so, so that's kind of like what, what intercession is like, what, what praying is like. It unlocks that. It's like you do your part and then God does his. Do you see that? But, I mean, intercession is, is hard because it's not very practical. Your, your mind will start thinking like, I mean, you, you're going to ask the question, well, <laughs> yeah, can God really do this? Which is that first question on the first half. Can God, is God able? Can he do this? So it's really not practical, intercession. So because it's not practical, let me give you some practical um, Something practical about intercession. Intercession looks like this, friends. Intercession looks like I'm going to come before God. And this isn't like, I mean, maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in your car. Um, You have to just clear your heart and clear your mind and submit those thoughts to God and ask him. You you come before the throne and, and you just, or literally, or wherever you are. But in your mind's eye, you're thinking, I want to come and I want to meet with God. And I'm a friend of God. And then you ask him, God, who would you have, who, who, need, who needs me, Lord? I'm, I'm just but dust and ashes. And you intercede because God invites you in there. Or, or maybe um, another thing that uh, comes to mind is, is when, have you ever been day? And, um, and then all of a sudden, you remember someone, and you're like, oh, yeah, I wonder how they're doing. You're like, hmm, I wonder what they're up to. Maybe I should go check out Facebook. But, you know, I mean, and, and go stalk them for a little while. No, I mean, maybe God is inviting you to pray for them. So would you pray for someone this week? Uh, some other ways that you can uh, practically intercede on behalf of others. As Dave had mentioned, we were at Macedonia um, last week, and, um, you know, almost 300 people came out to pray. That's a lot of people interceding on behalf of others. We have pre-service prayer that you can show up to in the morning. Well, uh, that's at the nine o'clock service. And then we also have pre-service prayer as well. Come to prayer meetings. That's how you can practically intercede on behalf of others. And as Dave also mentioned, we're, you know, we're praying for you. We're praying for the seats. We're praying for the other churches. We're praying, we're interceding on behalf of that, on behalf of, of God for, for others, or on behalf of, well, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> now, all of us owe a greater debt to those who have prayed um, for us. I mean, we owe them. We really do, for they prayed on our behalf. Because more things are brought by prayer in this world than uh, anything this world has ever dreamed of or even imagined. And maybe some of you are, are thinking, well, yeah, probably. Or maybe some of you are like, ah, I don't fully believe that. But how many of us are really seriously involved in praying for others? I, I want to encourage you to do that. I mean, because my desire for 
I mean, my desire in my own life and my desire for your life here is that you would, one, that you would worship God, and two, that you would pray. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I'm, like, results-oriented because sometimes I think that I'm a human doing rather than a human being, and I'm like, okay, what's going to measure success, God? Well, if I had to have some measure on that, my, the measure, the litmus, or the acid test, litmus stick ratio, whatever, would be a worshiping church and a praying church. And as I was studying um, and reading through these commentaries and doing everything, I got convicted. I, I, was, I was convicted. I was like, you know, do my prayers really affect anyone? I mean, or, or better yet, I thought, if I stopped praying, would that change anyone's life? Would they be able to feel it? And so I closed up all these books and... Um, and I was like, I closed all the books, all the commentaries, and I was going to pray. Um, and so then I checked my email first, <laughs> of course. And, uh, but God used that because in that email, Jason Stevens, our, our worship director, he, he sent an email to the staff with that, of this song that he has written and had, has recorded. And, uh, and so I, I listened to this song, and it, it, it invited me, prompted me into worship and it led to just some of the best prayer that I've had um, in, in, since I can remember. And, and I cried. I wept. I mean, I really, really cried. Now, some of you guys know that Erica, my wife, is, is out of town this week. Um, I was crying for that too. But, but as I was, I mean, yeah, I, I, was, I was praying for her, for our expected, uh, you know, little baby girl. And then I started praying for um, for her family, for my family, for you guys. I mean, it, it was, I, I wept. I wept and I was so grateful that, that, that I could just come before God. And I, and I miss that. And so I, I, I don't want you guys to miss that. So pray. I, yeah, pray. I, and then I, I opened back up the, the, um, the this book that I was reading and I, I found this one quote by this um, man, S.D. Gordon, who was a 20th century author and uh, missionary. He was also a lecturer. And this is what he says about um, prayer. The greatest thing anyone can do for God and any man is pray. For you can do more than pray after you pray, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. What a great quote. What a great quote. Because in that, we see the distinction between the glory of God and the shame of man. The glory of God and the shame of man. Because when we pray and we bring things up to God and we commit it and we submit it to him and we say, God, you're able to do this. I know that you can. And I know that you're going to be just and fair. So do it. And it's in, in this distinction we also see, I mean, we can apply it to the church as well. The distinction between a rising and a falling church, and that's why we pray. Because we don't do it, God does. So we can learn from prayer as we look at this, uh, but Abraham is not only just uh, interceding, interceding or praying, but he's also priesting. You see, Abraham was acting as a priest, and it's the first example of priestly activity in the Bible. He's the first one to stand before God and speak to men. And that's what a priest does. 
We see on the one hand that God invited Abraham into this priestly work, but then what Abraham does and how he goes about carrying this out is actually rather interesting. Because more than prayer is, just, is going on here. It's not just praying, he's priesting. To intervene on behalf of Sodom and to be the legal representative of a city before Almighty God. So God has invited Abraham uh, to be the legal counsel, to be the advocate for Sodom. And, and, and Abraham goes ahead, he takes up the call, and then he executes it. But the way that he does it is just remarkable. You know, because it's not like Abraham uh, was just asking for something that he wanted. I mean, of course, he wanted Lot and he wanted his family. But what the text says is that Abraham prayed for the city, for the people who didn't worship him, for the people that didn't know him. He's asking God and approaching God and interceding for these people, which is really quite remarkable. But he doesn't pull it off because we know the story, God judged Sodom. He doesn't pull it off. So Abraham must have understood that there must be a way that one could stand in the gap for many. And after all, I mean, the only reason why Lot was saved in the first place is because Abraham prayed for him. So Abraham risked his life by going before God in order to save the people, but Jesus gave his life by going before the people. You see, here we see that Abraham prayed for people who might have killed him. They were Canaanites in Sodom. But Jesus Christ came to us as our ultimate high priest And he prayed for people who were killing him. He said on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. For they know not what they do. So Abraham really is a picture and what Abraham points to is a picture of Jesus Christ, the true high priest. And we're told that Jesus Christ is our high priest in Hebrews 7. He is our advocate. And again, I, I don't want to miss this or fly over the fact that Abraham is praying for others. In the New Testament, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. These were enemies of Abraham. So it's really remarkable that he would do this. Jesus stands before God and intercedes on our behalf because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Because God has given us Christ so that the judgment that we deserved was put onto Christ. And he took it. He took it for my sins. He took it for your sins. And as, as Peter uh, says that for Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. Jesus invites us to put our faith in him. And this is the God whom we pray to, who wants to make himself known, who wants to be our friend, who wants to be intimate with us. 
who wants to enter into covenant with us. We can come before him. He'll give us his table. He'll give us his ear. He'll give us his life so that we can have life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for inviting us to your table, the table of grace that you have prepared, God. And we just declare that you are more beautiful and, God, you're just, you're just awesome. You're so kind and, and thoughtful and just and fair. And our hearts anticipate, God, um, this meeting with you and sitting down and, and eating with you, God. I pray that our lives may, may, um, may be changed just from that encounter. So would you do that and seal it in our hearts today? Amen.